Huh. So what do you do after that kind of worship? And when so much has come out prophetically to the church in what he has spoken this morning. I think I'm just going to continue on with what God's telling me to go with. Um, so turn in your Bibles to Genesis 12, 1 to 4. Genesis 12. You know God's doing something deep when you're going back to the first books. You're going right back to the very beginning. Genesis 12, 1-4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in all of the family, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. I love the story of Abram, of Abraham. I, and if I go back and forth between the two, just bear with me. But I love the story of Abram. Here is a man that God comes to and says, Get out of your country, get away from your home, and go to a land which I will show you. Do you know what that means? Abraham is packing up his tent, he is taking his family, and he has no clue where he's going. Because God says, I will show you. He was 75 years of age. Now to us, that's old. Considering he lived to be 175 years, it's really not that old for him. But still, 75 years old, and it is until he is like 99 that like the fruition of some of the dream begins to even get glimpsed. The tiniest little bits. That's a long time. That's a long time to be following God and wandering along. Going, where are you taking me, God? I think he was 90 when he first saw the land when God said, this is it. That's a long time to be wandering and just following God. I don't know about you, but I like it when God says to me, Matt, get up and arise from this country to the place that I've already told you about. Take the 1A, get on the, get on the 22, go to the Trans-Canada. Like, you know what I mean? Not just start walking in a direction. How many people would like that if God just like said, get up one morning and walk in a direction to a place that I will show you? That is what our walk with God is like. You get up, you give your yes to God, and you have no clue where you're going. I never thought I would be standing in a pulpit preaching. Ever. That was never my plan. And here I am. A boy who was very shy. I didn't like to get to know people. I didn't like to like step out and, and put myself out there. Once I get to know you, I never shut up. But if I don't know you... I'm very quiet. 
But God's like, no, I'm putting you here. Jillian was the same way. She says, sometimes I don't know how God picked me. He picked two introverts. Two people who like their solid, you know, being solitary and by themselves and quiet and not talking to everybody. And he shoves us into the ministry. That's what you call Jehovah Sneaky. We are in a season where life has been really easy for a little while. Not for, for a long time, but for a little while. And we like where we are. It's so, it's so nice. God's presence is here. Come on. Ah, let's just stay. But we're coming into a season where God's like, come on. We're on to the next leg of the journey because you haven't arrived yet. You haven't arrived yet. And he has a plan for Kingsgate Church. He doesn't just have a plan for each of us. He has a plan for this body, for this group of people. He had a plan 40 plus years ago for Cochrane, for Alberta, for Kingsgate. So much so that he disrupted the lives of two very quiet English people. Sitting in England with two small children, barely two pennies to rub together, and said, get on a plane and go to Canada, to the place that I will show you. They didn't know Cochrane existed. They knew nothing about it, other than they had family that lived in Canada, lived in Cochrane. And when they arrived here and looked out the window, because... They arrived in the night when it was dark, woke up in the morning, and mom says she looked out the window to the west and went, God, where have you brought me? Because all she saw was bare fields and rocky mountains. Little English person that has never left England. And some of my family was so adventurous that my great-grandfather, my dad's grandfather, died four houses away from where he was born. That's how adventurous a lot we are. These guys would never have left the Midlands of England if God hadn't said, go. And he brought them to a town with 1,800-ish people, and it probably had more horses than people, more cattle than people, and really brought them to the back of nowhere, to a town that was struggling, that was poor. And today we live in a community that is over 30,000 people and growing and prosperous. Why? Because God has a plan for Cochrane. He hasn't abandoned it. He hasn't forgotten it. And He disrupted the lives of two English people. He has also disrupted the lives of a lot of you to bring you here. Believe it or not. But we are going somewhere. I said last time I preached, we're going to take the mountains. We're going to take the high country. And we know, just like Caleb knew, that there are giants in the mountains. But they are going to fall at our feet. The things that have been held, lofty things that have been held over this region are going to topple in the days to come. But there's a journey to get to the mountains. 
We all think it's just as great as let's have a prayer meeting next week and take on the devil. Well, right now we're in the little flat areas. We've been cruising along. Pastor Rob talked about last week in his message he mentioned, Matt and Jill are now driving the bus. And I think he even said, I'm glad they're the ones driving it. And some of you may think that's a bit of a weird statement. Wouldn't you rather be the driver than be a passenger? Well, let me tell you something. I thought that too. But driving the bus isn't always fun. You see, it's been great when you're on the road and the road is paved and it is wide and it is straight and it is flat and you've got the windows down and the wind is blowing through your hair. If you've got some. Blows through my beard. And you know, sometimes we might, you know, have to stop because we've got a flat or pull in to refuel but generally it's a good trip but then there are times when you get into regions that are no fun Janae will you please cue up this video there's no sound to this video but you get into times where it is not what you thought it was it ain't paved anymore It's a way that not many people have been. And it may seem like you can just rest in the bus, but let me tell you something, the bus driver is not resting. There are rock faces on one side of you, and there are sheer cliffs on the other. Saints, we're coming into a season of this. And I hope you have the stomach for it. The best part is, there are times when you can't see around a corner. You're not sure the road's even there still, or ever was there. There are different seats on the bus. You can sit in the middle of the bus, which is generally fairly safe because you don't see the sheer cliffs. You don't quite see the rock face. And then there are times where, uh uh-oh, I can't see. I don't know where we're going. Someone needs to get out of the bus and go and check it out. Now, you ask any of the elders and pastors, that is no fun, getting out of the bus. You think it's not fun in the bus? Try getting out of the bus to see what's around the corner. You see, if you sit in the middle of the bus, you get a general view of what's going on. But if you sit on the one side or the other, you're either looking at rock face all the time, or you're looking over a cliff. And this is what it looks like when you look over the cliff. Anybody want to drive the bus? (laughs) This is why Pastor Rob said, I'm glad I'm not driving the bus anymore. Because faith is having one foot on the ground, one foot over a cliff, and a queasy feeling in your stomach. 
Is it not? And there are obstacles along the way. But you see, to get into the mountains, you have to drive through the mountains. And then it's always really good when you've got a waterfall across the road. Guy wants back in. You can stop it now, Janae. It's almost done. Does that look like a lot of fun? Let me tell you something. These seasons, they take a strong stomach. They take a lot of faith and a lot of courage. There are times, if you've been sitting on the one side of the bus looking at the rock face for too long, that you get disgruntled with what's not going right in the church. Because all you see is a rock face. There are times when you're sitting on the other extreme, looking out over the cliff, and you realize just how close we came a few times to total destruction. But there is also an exhilaration. There's also a unity that comes to a group of people when you embark on a journey of adventure. And we are coming into a season of adventure in this church. And there are going to be times when you might be sitting by the window and you're like, Matt, you are getting really close to that edge. But that's because Jillian's on the other side going, honey, you're about to hit the rock face. And I've got to try to find the way through. We've got to try to find the way through. The elders have got to try to find a way through this. So when you find that it's becoming a little too hard, get into the middle of the bus. Stop looking at the rock face and stop looking over the cliff. And just take a breather. Take a moment to just gather yourself. Because this perspective is totally different looking out the front windshield. We got to see where God is taking us. We got to know where it is we are going. When I started uh, talking to God before this year, God said to me, You are going in a way that not many have gone before. He reminded me of Joshua 3 4. This is not a way you have passed before. We've been on adventures. We've been on different journeys, but we haven't been on the one we're about to go on. It's different. That's why it takes faith. Because if it was just doing what the previous generation had done, we know how to do that. We know how to do that. We know how to take that journey. We know how to have faith for those things. But we are not on the paved road anymore. We're not quite on the cliffs yet. We're just making our way there. But there's a few bumps. Jill and I have uh, kind of taken a run down this road to take a look ahead. And there's bumps. There's places where we're going to be jostled. There's places where the bus is going to stop and it's going to stop in a precarious position. Like being on the top of the Ferris wheel and you don't know if they're ever going to get it going again. But God spoke to me and said, from Isaiah 54, 1-3, he said, Sing, O barren one, you who have not born. Break forth into singing and cry aloud for you, for you who have not labored with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Do not spare. Lengthen the cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right 
and to the left, and your, your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. So I began to go, God, we are, we are so hungry to do what you have called us to do. We have big vision here at Kingsgate. But the big vision that we have takes something. It's called people. You see, God is going to increase our numbers. That's a warning because we're Cocker Knights and we're Kingsgaters and we like small things. We like being a small church. We like being a small town. But there is increase coming to Kingsgate Church. Two years ago, Luke Niebergall stood in this pulpit and said, the hiddenness is coming off of this house. The hiddenness is coming off. In the early, tw- in the early 2000s, Ron Leach encouraged us to pray and to call to the north, the south, the east and the west, and to believe God for ten righteous families. Between 2005 and 2010, Pastor Doug told us he had a vision of all the seats in this house filled. And he called us to close our eyes and envisage this place full. He even then had us get up and lay hands on the empty chairs and pray for those that would fill them. God does not stop talking. He has been telling us to prepare for growth for a very long time. And I think at times, we've lost hope. Because that was 20 years ago. But we're on a journey. We're stepping into something. And I started saying to God in November, you know, God... The vision you have for Kingsgate is going to take more than 80 people. It's going to take more than 80 people, God. It's going to take hundreds to do what, we're going to, what you've shown me that we're supposed to do as a church over the next gen, in this next generation. And God said to me, took me to Zechariah, Four, six to ten, and we should be able to quote some of this as a church because we've heard it enough times. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace to it, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. I want to tell you something, saints. If you're over 50 in this church and have been part of this church for 20 plus years, I want you to stand. If you're over 50, Joe. Oh, gosh, she was getting up. Over 50 <laughs> and been in this church 20 plus years. I want everybody to look around. These guys have laid a great foundation. These guys have laid a great foundation. Goes on to say, His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. 
For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. You know, saints, I sometimes look at the foundation and go, okay, God, this is exciting. We have something to build upon. But where is everybody? Where is everybody? You know what, Pat, when we built this building, we started out with more than 60 people when we started building this building. And then we had, it was 120, so we were at about 120, and then we had a really awesome time called Gideon's Revival. And we ended up with 60 people. And I know my dad came over here because he lived across the street, and all we had was concrete in the ground and a big slab. And went, Where, what are we doing? And there's times I've been frustrated with God going, God, we've gone up to 100 and we've come down. We've gone up to 100 and we've come down a couple of times. And I said to God, what are we doing? And he says, do not despise the day of small things. And he said, Matthew, there is a, you know the vision I have for this house. And you know that it's going to take a lot more than 60, 80, or even 100 people to do what it is I have called this house to do. But you are in a strategic moment that can only be done while you are small. You are in a strategic moment. Because you have to lay another foundation. And I went, God, we already laid a foundation. And I am a structural designer by trade. That's what I did for almost 20 years. I also worked in the architectural industry, but I worked as a structural designer. And God began to remind me of the reports that I used to have to write. And in it, you talk about how actually an entire structure is a foundation. Some of it's below the ground, and some of it's above the ground. But it is all a foundation. When Jill and I first got married, she's like, so what is it you draw? You know, do you, do you draw the, you know, the nice windows and all the decorations in the building? I'm like, no. I draw everything that's behind all that. So we're driving along. We come to this building that is concrete, a couple of steel columns, some steel beams, and some steel joists. And I go, that's what I draw. And she says, how ugly. You draw that? Because foundations aren't beautiful, but they're necessary. You see, God began to show me that building the church and building the vision and going where God wants me to do, I was really excited to start putting up windows and, you know, beautiful looking paint on the walls of the church, you know, figuratively speaking. And I was looking at it and I'm like, God, I have to design columns and beams? Oh, no one's ever going to see this. Danny works in the electrical engineering side of things. Guess what? Most of it you don't see. Plumbing, mechanical, most of it you don't see. Why? Because it's ugly. Structure, you don't see it. Sewers, you don't see them. Why? Because they're ugly. It's the 
architect that brings the beauty to the structure. Okay, so the architect brings beauty to the structure. He's the one who has a dream about what this building's going to look like, what this structure is going to be. You see, when I worked in the industry, the architect would bring the structural guy's drawings. And the first thing we would go is, how the heck are we supposed to hold that up? Because architects always want to do what's never been done before. You know, we always had the thing of, we just need to invent sky hooks, things that just hang from the, somewhere in space and we just hook them onto the building to hold it up. Because he wanted in something that looked impossible. And each engineer, each discipline feels the same way. But you see, the architect coordinates the disciplines. Or he's supposed to, he doesn't always. But he's supposed to coordinate the disciplines. Danny's laughing because we've been there. He makes sure that things don't interfere with each other. That this can go here and this can go here and that when you put them up, you're not going to have a sewer line running right through the middle of your air duct. He worries about those kinds of things. And God took me to Scripture in Hebrews, and it says, by faith, this is Hebrews 11, 8-10, by faith, Adam, or sorry, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. We just read that. And he went out not knowing where he was going. I said that. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect is God. And so here we are, we are building the bride of Christ. We are building the church. We don't get to decide what she looks like. He's the architect. And everything that we do is foundations. It's structure. Some of us have been called to be certain plumbing of the body of Christ. I'll leave you to think about that for a while. Some of us have been called to be hands or feet or the mouth. But God is deciding what the bride looks like. All we're responsible to do is follow the architect's direction. That's all we have to do. All I had to do as a structural guy, I did not have to worry about whether or not those offices were big enough. I did not have to worry about whether or not that toilet was going to drain. All I had to worry about was that that toilet sat on a floor that it wouldn't fall through. All I had to worry about. That was someone else's problem. That everything tied together. And so I said to God, so you're telling me we've got to lay more foundation and it's not going to look beautiful. And he's like, yep. Because it'll look beautiful when I'm done. When I'm done what I'm going to do, the bride's going to be gorgeous. Now get to work on the foundation, would you? So here we go, saints. Are you ready to lay more foundation? Are you ready in 40 years, for someone to say, if you've been here for 40 years building foundations, stand up because you've built a good foundation. You see, a pyramid is just a layer of foundation upon a layer of foundation upon, and just gets a little bit 
smaller as it goes up. Altars are just foundation after foundation after foundation. So, are we ready? Some of you are like, I don't know. I'm like, well, too bad you said yes to him a long time ago. (laughs) Buckle up. Actually, I don't even think there's seatbelts on this bus, so here we go. We're going on an adventure. We're going into the mountain country. We're taking the rest of the promised land. One day, I hope we get to hear of a generation that builds a temple, that sees the nation established. But right now, we're doing what we're called to do. Pastor Rob said last week, and you know I love the story of the guy who's sweeping and says, I'm building the cathedral. Come on. Are we building something? Are we part of something that has been being built for 2,000 years and it's only getting better? And the bride is only getting more beautiful. Are we ready to lay out our generation's level of the foundation? You see, God has a plan and a purpose. And He has so much plan and purpose for Kingsgate Church, He's not going to let us fail. If He can take a family from England who has nothing, and I mean we were poor. We were poor there, we were poor here, it didn't matter, we were poor. And we got on an airplane. And we came here, and I was a baby. So it was fun. There was no risk for me. I was... I wasn't even sitting in the middle of the bus. I'm just like, mm. <laughs> there are everybody in this room came from somewhere. There's very few here who are original Cochranites. We all came from somewhere because God had a plan. God drew you here, maybe for a season, maybe for a long time, maybe forever. Because He has a purpose, and we are all intricate parts of that purpose. On Friday night, we had the burn here. And it was like a blast from the past. We had a man playing bass by the name of Kevin Ball who grew up in this house. And I said to Kevin, I haven't seen you in over 20 years. And the last, thing I think I, last time I think I saw you, you were playing bass and I was in the sound booth. And he was there on Friday night and I was in the sound booth and he was on bass. <laughs> One of the worship leaders was the very first person my dad ever did a wedding for, Margaret Graham. wasn't the very first, but it was the very first wedding he ever did. They were also the first associate pastors of this house and the only church plant we've ever made out of this house because they pastor the church that we sent them out to go and plant. We had Tim and Jean Davidson sitting over here. Some of you know them, some of you don't. This place wouldn't be standing if Tim hadn't been here to help direct us because he came from, a, came from a line of builders and he helped us by training us to build this because we built it with our own hands. I learned to mud and tape here. Wish I'd never learned that. I learned to frame here because people are intricate parts. Sometimes they're here for a season and sometimes they're here for the long haul, but it doesn't matter because they're intricate parts of the purpose of God. I want to tell you 
that we need to fling wide the doors of this house. Because people are coming. Last time I preached, hmm, last time I preached, I ended with a prayer that I had not, I never planned my prayers. Okay, when I, when I closed to pray, I just let the Holy Spirit come and tell me what to pray. Because He knows better than I do anyways. And I ended the prayer with something that I, had, I didn't even know was in my heart. Or was even on the heart of God. And I prayed this. i got to find it. Because it's written in here. I called to the north, the south, the east, and the west to come and help us fulfill the vision here. I didn't know what I was doing. But this week I received a letter in the mail from a lady in Mount Hope, Ontario. Dated January 14th. I'm only going to read parts of this letter. Dated January 14th, 2020. Dear Pastor Butler, I live in Ontario. We've never met. I'm writing this letter because I feel that God has directed me to. And I've spent the last couple of days trying to gather my thoughts, struggling to express what God has been doing. At 16 years of age, a dream started to build in my heart. Over the years, it has changed and grown as I have changed and grown. But I've continued to carry it for more than 30 years. A year and a half ago, God increased the vision yet again and put Alberta on my heart. Alberta? You need to know that I am a homebody. I love where I live. I have lived in the same city since I was 14 years old. I've never had any interest in moving and always assumed that the dream would take place right here where I was. But now my heart has shifted and I begin to pray for Alberta. A couple of weeks ago, I had a dream where I saw various people from my past 25 to 40 years ago. They were all doing their own thing and working their own jobs and yet somehow talking with each other as well. It seemed like they all lived out west and we were talking about the beauty of the mountains and how they would love to go even further west to see more. I spoke up and said, oh, I would love to move out west too. The mountains are calling me. They all stopped and turned to look at me in surprise and said, really? You've never been interested in being out here. I laughed and agreed, and put something, but something had changed in me. With big smiles, they said, come, we want you here, please come. And the dream ended. Since then, there have been many random God moments and confirmations. It would take too long to tell you everything right now. But mom, maybe one day, you and your wife and I will meet, and we will sit down and I will share the stories. For now, I'll just say, out of all of Alberta, God directed me to Cochrane. And then a week later, Kingsgate Church. So I subscribed to your podcasts and listened to Legacy 2020 from January 5th. And you said many things that I have been journaling about for the last month. In your prayer at the end, you said, Lord, we call to the north, the south, the east, and the west, to those who are meant to help us with this land, and we call them in. For the visions and the dreams and the things 
that we have to do, we call them, come and help us. I immediately thought of my dream from a couple of weeks ago saying, come, please come. So I'm really not sure yet what the next step is. I'm truly just trying to follow the leading of the Spirit. God is definitely doing something, and so I'm trusting Him and taking the steps as He leads me. I wanted to write to you to encourage you that God is working in people's hearts and preparing them for Alberta. He has heard and is answering the prayers, and people are making the journey. I'm blown away. If that lady's listening to this podcast, wow. I'm going to send you a letter because I only have your address. He can call two people from England. He can call someone from Mount Hope, Ontario. God has heard the cries and the prayers of 40 years. And I'm telling you, saints, we better be ready because this place will not hold the people that are going to be here in 40 years. This shed is big enough for now. But there'll be a day when we have to leave this shed for something bigger. God told me that do not despise the day of small things because right now we're in a moment in time where we're able to prepare for what's coming. But there's an onslaught coming because we've been praying for 40 years. And God said to me last year, in the, in the near future, you will break the 100 barrier and you will never go below it again. And then you will break the 150. And then you will break the 200. Saints, things are going to be happening. We've been praying for so long. We've been believing for so long. And I know that sometimes we feel like it's been 40 years. And God says, what? I just like paid attention over here for one second. What are you talking about 40 years? In the blink of an eye, it's all going to come. Bill Johnson says, we wait a lifetime for our suddenlies. Are you ready for the suddenly? When we come into this place and we're having to find chairs from upstairs to like make it work? Are you ready for the suddenlies? Because I know what God has called us to do is going to take more than we have here right now. And I'm telling you, I believe Pastor Rob believes, the elders believe, we have been called to carry the presence of God. Amen. And there's a massive price that will be paid for that. Let me tell you something. Bethel Church, they pay a massive price to host what they host. Toronto pays, the church in Toronto pays a huge price to host what they host. Are we ready for what God's going to bring in here? You know, <laughs> Strangers might get sitting in your seats. You might have to line up for standing room only and you go to this church. Do you know that was an eye-opener when I went to Bethel? The first conference we went to? I mean, 
Bethel's conference schedules are crazy. You, you sleep and that's it. And you get six hours of that, there's barely times to eat. Especially if you want a good seat because you walk out of one meeting and you will go and line up for the next one. There's no, there's no going and having dinner. Not if you want a good seat. One of the things Bethel, we heard stories from a lady who's been in Reading for years, Marla. She said, you know, it was hard when the nation started coming here. Because I've been going to this church for 30, 40 years. And all of a sudden, I'm lining up to get into my church. When I get in there, there's no seats for me. I'm sitting in the overflow. Or I'm expected to minister every single Sunday because the nations are here. I don't know what God's got for us exactly. But I know it's big. And I had this week, um, Pastor Craig Hill from Imagine, I began to tell him like some of the history, some of the vision. He's like, Matt, you guys are going to be so big. Wow, I'm glad I got to know you. I'm glad I'm your friend. I'm glad I met you now because one day it's all going to be, I met Matt Butler when. That's what he said. Guys, we've had so many different ministers say that about this house for so long. And there is something God is doing. Are we ready? Are we ready? Fling wide the doors. Pull out the stakes. Let's stretch out the tent because they're coming. Amen. And we're going to take the high country. Yes. Amen? Amen? Let's stand and pray. Ha ha. God, you are so good. Lord, I don't know what the journey looks like, but I know you are good. God, I don't know where the end destination is, but I know it's flowing with milk and honey. Father, I don't know what giants we have to face, but I know they will be taken down. Because You have made a way where there is no way. And You have prepared a way for us. And so Lord, we yet again give our yes we yet again give our yes. And we come chasing after You. We come chasing after You. Because we are looking for an architect who's got the master plan. And while I don't know why You're telling us to put a bolt right here, we will put it right here. And why I don't know why this is a necessary structure, we will build it anyways. Because you know what you are going to do. And we have full confidence and faith. And we call out to those that are hearing the voice of God as we've gotten this letter. We say, come, you are welcome here. We call to our family. We call to our tribe. And we say, come home. Come home. We've got arms wide open for you. 
I've got arms wide open to receive you. The doors are open. The food is plentiful at the table. Come. Come home. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you all to sit for a second. <laughs> I'm the pastor. I can do what I like. <laughs> and you're all stuck in the bus. Um, <laughs> pastor, pastor Todd Swisher and I were talking a little while ago, a couple, couple months ago. And he just said, Matt, do you feel it might be time for your church to have a season of prayer and fasting? And I'm not a fasting guy, as you can see. And I have always said to God, I am not going to do prayer and fasting unless you tell us to. And I took that as a message from God through Todd saying, Matt, do you think it's maybe time for a season of prayer and fasting? So I'm asking us as a church to do 40 days of prayer and fasting. I'm not asking you to fast for the whole 40 days unless you get that from God. I'm not telling you to do it. I'm asking you during those 40 days if you will do some fasting. I want us to start on February 1st, which is Saturday. I know, ladies, you have a breakfast. Go ahead and eat. Enjoy. Because you don't have to fast every single day. Yes, for tomorrow you fast. I'm asking us to start on February first and it will end on march 11th and i would like everyone in this room and everybody that's hearing this that is part of this church family we're going to announce it again on february or on march 11th wednesday night at 7:30 p.m we are going to meet here at the church as a family for a vision meeting we're going to talk some business we're going to talk about some things that god's laid on on the hearts of the board we're going to fast and prepare ourselves for what God wants to speak at King's Gate. So, would you please mark in your calendars? If you've got something planned, please change it because we're not changing the date. February, March 11th, 7.30 p.m. Be here because we're going to have a family time and we're going to talk business and vision. And whatever God lays on your heart to fast, God's already talking many things about me that I'm fasting. Some things for the entire 40 days, some things just days here and there. But if we get in there, it's sometimes fasting is about getting God's attention, saying, God, we are willing to pay the price. I think at this point right now, God's preparing us. He's calling us to fasting because we need to prepare ourselves. So I'm asking you to be praying this week about what it is for those 40 days you are to do. It could be fasting television, fasting food, fasting whatever. It could be multiple things. It could be meals. I'm doing all breakfasts. So ladies, you're going to breakfast. You're, you're, you're breaking my rule. So what is it that God is calling us to do? We need to get our hearts ready. Because this road is not always going to be easy. But it's going to be awesome. Amen?